Are you ready? Yeah, ready. Let's go. I think I've said stuff <laughs> that I haven't said on some podcasts. So yeah. you, you're very good. Um, oh, yeah, I appreciate yeah, no, that. No, 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 no. You, you got that out of me. For me, what always driven me was when also I see other people do well. Yeah. I would always be happy for you. I'd always dissect it. Yeah. See what I can do and go and actually ask questions. Like you say, you've got the superpower of resilience, um, the superpower of your natural inbuilt personality and then this superpower to do this code switch i love that by the way i've never heard anyone say about code switching but that's a really cool phrase this i'm going to use that with my my impatience i'm going to pretend that i own it i'll I'll give you credit (laughs) i I can't even take credit i was going to say did you trade no 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 no, that's not mine hi i'm ella mccrystal and this is the new mind today's guest is the marvelous dr esho uh, Dr. Esho has the Esho Clinic, Esho Clinic MD. Yes. Yes. In uh, the UK, three actually, and one in Dubai. You may have seen him on This Morning. You may have seen him on The Body Fixers Show, which I believe is on Netflix now. So watch it if you haven't already. And lots of other TV appearances. But today, actually, I wanted to talk to Dr. Esho about his life story his success, the things that he's learned along the way. And I know that when you listen to this, despite the fact that some of it may seem circumstantial, some parts of the story, because it kind of has to be to weave it all together. I feel that so many of you are going to be inspired and motivated by the natural highs and lows of Dr. Esho's life. And I really want you to take away from this, that no matter who you are, no matter what your life is right now, you can pretty much create the life that you dream of. And I know that that is what's going to come out of this, as well as some realness. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. I know that you are an extremely busy man. So you giving your time today to be here is really special, and I really appreciate it. Um, That introduction there is kind of just like 20 seconds worth of your life, but there's so much so much to go through so i want to start at the beginning okay. and and really talk about little dr esho <laughs> little esho before the doctor yeah before um, the doctor was born yeah um where did it start tell me about your life yeah so um my life is very different than to it is now yeah um my parents both came from nigeria they came over to the uk in their 20s i think that's quite common a lot of people came to give their kids or the kids that they're going to have a better life, a but better still education. Young. Very, very young. Yeah, you know? 20s. Um, but I think that was the goal. My dad always told me they came across because they wanted my sister to have, and my, to have better opportunities. Yeah. So I was the first born here. And at the time, my dad was an accountant in Nigeria already. But when he came across here, his qualifications weren't represented because right. it's not the same if you had it over there to here. So he had to work as a tiler so build putting tiles in a factory together with my mum so that's what they were doing they were getting handouts from the church so we didn't really have a lot of money you know um we grew up in a council estate in Tottenham at the time there and I remember seeing that side of things you know getting exposed to things that I guess a lot of people probably wouldn't want their kids exposed to but it's it's there you know so you would see crack addicts you would see crime you would see things happen you know and I think in a way almost normalized certain things to me yeah um so not a lot of stuff did shock me growing up as I grew up in that particular area desensitized desensitized exactly and I think my parents 
wanted better. They knew this wasn't going to do great. So themselves, my dad re-educated himself here in the UK, um, trained as an accountant again. Wow. So got more money and we moved from there. We moved to Edmonton. Now, anyone that knows North London, Edmonton, it's better than Tottenham, but it was still not, <laughs> it's still not, um, uh, you know, where I am now um, particularly. But it was to try and further give me a better chance. At school, I was always getting into trouble, I think, initially. Um, and I could have been written off, really, to be honest, as a kind of trouble kid getting in trouble, like most kids are in the area. What sort of ways were you getting into trouble? So I was always the class clown. You know, I would always be distracting everybody, had a mouth on me, you know, very cocky um, in that way. So I spent most of my time sitting outside of the lesson, you know, on the bench outside. You know, there was a kid I was down at the end of the corridor <laughs> who, who was always out at the lessons like, as well. <laughs> hey, mate, yeah, <laughs> same time next week. Um, so it was there. And it was one teacher, Miss Eitel, who kind of got my parents in and said, look, I think your son is very smart. And I think the reason why he's playing up is because he's bored. Yes. And, you know. Good teacher. Yeah. And honestly, if I can find her today, I've tried to. I owe her a lot. Because from that, that pivoted my whole journey in terms of education. Because she saw that. And she did, if she didn't, I would have been written off that complete way. No focus was taken. And she said, I'm going to give him some extra classes and see what happens amazing yeah. and I started to calm down I started to calm down naturally I started to apply myself and excel in doing that and she said okay I want to put my year ahead I want to put my year ahead and see what happens and they put me a year ahead and I even calmed down even more so then he realized at that point that you know it was just boredom I was understanding things and I was getting ahead but once I've finished and I've understood it lesson over for me I was then distracting everybody else and that took her to see that. And that's why now, even with my son, you know, the school he goes to, I'm always about small numbers and everything like that because I think teachers are so important in a journey because that my life would have went two different ways with that point. You're so right. What an amazing point already to make because I, I do fear that the education system is broken. Mm. And if those teachers aren't seeing the child, the individual, mm. like you say, different ending mm. for you. Yeah. Phenomenal. So I'm really pleased you referenced that. Yeah. And then from there, it was like, okay, he can do all this. And my dad was really, you know, a very stoic, strict Nigerian man. So in the house, you know, A's were expected, you know, so there was no celebration about it. A B was like, you want to move out, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you want me to send you back to Nigeria. It was that like threat all the time. So there was a lot of pressure on me once this was realized that there was a potential here to fulfill whatever that potential was, not just for me, but for my parents. Mm. I was very gifted at art and drawing and graphic design. And that's where, even though I was doing great at the rest of the lessons, that's what I wanted to do initially. And my dad didn't see that as a career. My dad was very, again, when a lot of people that come from ethnic minorities will obtain to this, a lot of families see, you know, your traditional law, yeah. accounts, engineering, dentistry. These are the careers because they're safe, you know, yeah. and because they can give you a legacy going forward and there's all they're always needed. So that's yeah. where it was seen you should go in for. My dad was like, art oh, and graphics is not that, you know. So he was very much pushing me down the line to do either finance or medicine. And 
I had a work experience that he had set up, Whitterton Hospital, and I went into it thinking, oh, I don't want to do this. Saw the surgeon there, and I thought, wow, everybody really respects this guy. I've never seen that level of respect. He came on the ward. Everybody was running after him. Everybody mm. was going for him. And I thought, okay, maybe I do want this. You know, just by the way he was treated, I thought, okay, I want to be treated like that. You know, not really knowing much about the job. But so that's just quite a fundamental moment. You've got this teacher, mm. sees you for who you are, mm. work experience, not really bothered. But then you see, ah, mm. this man gets treated like he's something special. Exactly. I want a piece of this. I want a piece of this. I was like, I, I don't know how to, but okay. Maybe my dad was right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so then I remember coming back to school saying, right, you know, to the head of the year, I want to apply for med school. And I was really discouraged, you know, um, which shocked me. You know, I thought, oh, you know, you guys will be really pleased and apply myself and do. And they were like, well, you know, we've got to be realistic. You know, um, if that doesn't happen, you know, what, what what other ideas do you have? And that was really upset my parents, you know. They I were bet. really angry, you know. Um, they said to ignore it. You know, we just focused on what we had to do. And I got into medical school, you know. Um, and I remember the first day being there, you know, my dad, everybody's parents were hugging the kids my dad shook my hand like I was a soldier on the way to like military school um <laughs> and my mum was like hugging me he's like no no we don't hug his hair to do a job you know um and I remember distinctly looking around thinking I don't belong here mm. you know no one looks like me here no mm. one speaks like me here yeah you know I was in a place where I you know from speaking families are doctors you know people from middle class up you know no one was from, you know, the ends, as you say, where <laughs> yeah. I grew up. So I remember thinking, God, like, do I belong here? Was it scary? Yeah. Because I think I was taken out of an environment where I was used to. Yeah. You know, I was used to that environment. I remember the first time where I got opportunity to be taken out of that. So there was this school called Latimer, which was this really top school. And my dad wanted me to go to it, but all my parents, their friends were going to the other school, the county school. And I, so I wanted to be where everyone knew. And again, I remember on the inset day, I've seen people in the school that didn't look like me. They were yeah. totally different. And my dad was like, you're going to go. And I was like, I don't want to go. And he said, look, okay, if you go to the county, as long as you're getting your grades, that was fine. And that was the first time I realized being in an environment of people like you gave you that comfort. Of course, big, big thing, comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, exactly. But then, then going into med school and seeing that and, and doing it, I thought I made the wrong decision here. Like I almost felt uh, imposter syndrome. I felt I don't belong here, yeah. you know, because this isn't what people like me do. How were they treating you, though? So I would say it was a bit like a novelty in a sense. I think, you know, I was one of two black people in my year at that time. How many um, were in your year? Um, poor couple hundred in there what, yeah wow. yeah so like there was myself and another guy called O um and you know he when I saw him we naturally <laughs> beelined <laughs> for each other yeah. and then I remember we were walking across the corridor and we were seeing all the photos of the people in the year we were like seeing the absence of black faces you yes know? and in each year they may be in one or none and so we were like one of us is only going to make it statistically yeah. wise, you know, um, but, uh, you know, we both made it, thank goodness. But I think 
people were interested in our stories. People were interested in how we grew up, where we grew up. And one thing we realized very quickly, myself and O, was we had a certain life experience a lot of people didn't have. So in terms of a naivety, I, think, I give one example always. Um, my friend, I won't name his name um, to say it, but um, I remember this car pulling up outside the school and it had these two guys in it and he said, they're selling laptops. And then my mate was, oh God, I said, mate, don't bother with that, it's a scam. And he was like, no, 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 let me go look. And the guys were like, oh, we've got a laptop, you know, half price, all of this stuff. And he was like, oh my God, I want that laptop. Um, so he went to get money. They said, I'll meet us around the corner. So yeah, they met him around the corner, got the laptop, ran back into uni, said, went to try and open it, could open it, opened it. There was just stone blocks inside there. Oh, so they'd done the switch. Oh, my god! They'd done the switch on him. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I knew it was going to go that way. Yeah. I said, actually, you're lucky. Actually, you came back with that. I thought they would just rob you yeah. there and then. Yeah. But it was, again, just he was from a very sheltered environment, you know, very privileged, you know, had everything, didn't know those aspects of the world in that way, where for me, I saw that happening every yeah, day. Yeah. Um, so I'd already realized, okay, there's an advantage, you know, that all the disadvantages I was thinking about, actually there's an advantage to where I've come from. Because you're weaving parts of life together in a way that other people just couldn't. Mm. You're making decisions and choices in mm. a way that other people can't mm. because they don't know. No. And you've got this wealth of knowledge plus the intelligence and the determination. I think you were motivated by the surgeon. Mm. So you've got all these, already so young. So how old are you in med? Is it after? Uh, med school. So when we're going there, we're going in 18 and then, you know, we're leaving. You know, it's five years. So we're leaving when we're about 23. So you're really young to be able to, mm. I think, have that broader perspective. Mm. So although it doesn't come easy, mm. you know, because you've had lots of life experiences that perhaps haven't been easy up until that point, mm there's this understanding of human nature, mm. which is often lacking in privileged circles. No, definitely. And from that, you know, those skills, I use those a lot in communication. Yes. So in terms of those parts, I would excel a lot um, in awareness of that, awareness of people's cultures. And yeah, it, it took me as part of my strength to graduate. And when I graduated, I remember my dad, you know, that's the first time I saw him cry. Um, I'd never seen him cry before. I thought he was unwell. I didn't know what was going on. Um, <laughs> Help him. And I asked my mum, and my mum was like, he just feels like his job is done. Yeah. You know, um, I think that was the other pressure I wasn't aware of. He had that pressure of making me something. That's why the they moved here. He made. Why? Yeah. That's why they moved here. That's how they'd done. So he had that immense pressure. And I remember only realizing at that stage what he must have gone through because at the time then I just thought it was a lot unfair I just thought man this is too much strictness this is too much yeah. pressure but I got it I understood why he did it and I'm grateful to this day that he did yeah um because of it but it does also in a way not scar you but I think living with that level of expectation and pressure is a lot it is a lot i mean again most people i would say mm. will not understand the amount of pressure mm. that you were under at such a young age mm. and i always say actually because prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed that's the analysis decision, decision kind of the word decision making mm. logic 
and emotional regulation. It's not fully formed till you're 21, sometimes 25. So with all that pressure going on, your brain is actually adapting in a very different way. Good and bad comes with that, of course. But I do think there's a level of maybe abandonment there. Did it feel like your needs were sometimes abandoned because the pressure took over? I think, you know, there was a time I remember I joke about it now, but I was like, was I adopted or something? Because <laughs> um, I think there was things that I know I'm different as a dad now to my kids are. So my dad wasn't really vocal in terms. Of, I never heard him really say, I love you, mm-hmm. you know, or hugs or kisses, you know, I think his version of what love was, was okay. I've given you education, a house over your head, you know, clothes. Yeah. That's love. So when you don't have that, you sometimes fig you question what's your purpose, you know, is it just to be this thing? And, Am I you know, machine? a machine and, and do that rather than just a person. Yeah. And that can be hard. That can be really hard. So the human element of being the child, mm. the playfulness. Yeah. The curiosity, the mm. you know, the love mm. you felt that wasn't always no, your experience. It, it, yeah, it, you know, I don't, I don't think it was ever on purpose. No, I think culturally it was a lot there. I think you know, got a lot of friends who grew up in similar backgrounds, yes. same backgrounds that grew up the same way. Yeah. We talk about it a lot how you know that side wasn't as prevalent, and maybe that's why we're so open with our affection to our kids now which is beautiful we probably thought okay i didn't have that and i think maybe part of the drive or my drive was to get that you know yeah i think to kind of get this validation or this feeling or for them to say those words or show it it was like okay i need to be successful I need to succeed so I'd almost linked the two together so Mm. that's what drove me more I was like right if I do better then they will love or show me love more so now love is like a commodity yeah I've got to earn love and that's that's tough that definitely Mm. does shape the brain it does because unless and you've obviously been able to view it again Mm. your multifaceted approach Mm. to life is that you can see the broader perspective Mm. that seems to be your skill set amongst others but not everybody ever works that out Mm. so you'll see that people that that psychological safety involves love and nourishment from from the heart i Mm. guess and those that haven't received that sometimes they become very maladaptive Mm. so was there actually Mm those maladaptive parts of you before perhaps you had children Mm. after medical school doing so well Mm. were there maladaptive behaviors do you think probably I I would say that for me you know they always say like workaholic is like a good thing you know yeah but actually it's not that good um and I think that probably was that I put that into overdrive so I was blinkered and so focused on being successful yeah. that that in the time got me, you know, missing birthdays, yes. you know, being the son that never called as much, mm-hmm. you know, or the brother that didn't pick up the phone as much because I was so overwhelmed by this whole process that I had to 
be successful, yeah. it took over every other aspect of life. So the humanness, I always refer mm. to that, the humanness, the heart-mind connection mm. wasn't flowing. Mm. You weren't in the flow state. Mm. What was happening is you became the machine yeah. and your relationships with human beings yeah. were second. Yeah, if, All, if, always, even if that, you know, yeah. relationships always ended in the same way. Mm. It was always because I was so focused on work and that was secondary, you know, and I always felt it was like, well, you don't understand. Yeah. You know, I've got an opportunity, you know, we live once, you know, I really want to make this. And I think it was funny because especially in the earlier days, you know, just graduating from med school and having that such determination, sometimes you could be seen as a dreamer because oh, yeah. because people don't see the vision you see. Mm. You know, you have created this vision in your head of what you want to do. I remember when I first told my colleague, oh, you know, I'm going to build this clinic. You know, it's going to be global. You know, he had this smirk on his face. As if say, yeah, all right, yeah, mate. Yeah, you know. Chill your boots. This is it. And, <laughs> you know, he, 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 he still knows me to this day. He works at one of my clinics. And, you know, he reminds me of it. And he was like, yeah, I remember. Like, I could see the overall determination in your face. But then there's other people just take it the other way. And they're just like, oh, you're just a dreamer, you know, you know. You're, you know, you're gassed, as my mates would say. You know, you're not thinking real here. Yeah. You know, and that frustrates you because then, if people don't see it or don't want it as much as you, again, that can be another maladaptive trait because yeah. you get upset that why aren't you working as hard as me? Yeah, you know, why aren't you wanting this as much as me? You know, why, you know, why are you just sitting there? That that became quite hard. It does feel like you were a a, a finely tuned mm. engine. Mm. And that you were really unable to move out of that space. Mm. Perhaps it was, you talked about the comfort zone earlier. Mm. Perhaps it was so comfortable for you to be the machine and probably really uncomfortable for you to have relationships and love and time with people as a priority. You hadn't really known that. In fact, I think the moment that teacher uh, said, look, this this boy is special. He's he's too clever for this. Mm you then went into a different zone and never went back. But also something you said there about creating the dream, Mm. you are actually naturally from the sounds of it, quite a creative person, Mm. the artistic side of you, that Mm. graphic design and the the Mm. art, it's actually really blended together very well because your vision has become the reality. Mm. The robot or the machine was able to employ the creativity, but equally you have built relationships. Mm. You know, you can't build four clinics have all those patients you know have the tv stuff Mm. if you're not good with people Mm. so how did that happen if you if you were lacking in that how did you become this people person i think so going back to the kid in the class who was always being the kind of class clown and joke and bits in that way i always like to kind of entertain yeah uh, you know so no matter how hard I work that kind of want to entertain and make people laugh was always there so I guess that was a trait that was endearing to people um so that's your natural that. personality so that's my natural you know to kind of want to entertain and do that despite wanting to work it was like okay we can play but we need to get the job done yeah and I always said that you know so I kind of looked for like people in that way. I yeah. kind of, again, going back to natural, those were the people 
that I naturally became around and became part of what I was doing. It was people that were laser focused, but then also could have a good laugh at the same time. And that's where that joined in, you know, and I think in, in relationships, I naturally found it better in relationships with partners or women who were driven. Yeah. You know, um, so had this idea or this vision of where we want to go to and what we want to do and what we want to create. So, you know, it's almost like we're all dreamers together. So that nice. was that was my kind of home in, in, in the people yeah. that I would go to. And so you, you start with when you have the vision to build the clinic mm. and then number two, number three, mm. Dubai comes along. Mm. I mean, I know from personal experience that running a clinic um having you know your list of patients being that person that people want mm. sounds great on paper mm. but you did that three times in the UK mm. and then in Dubai mm. how first of all how on earth have you managed to stay in good health <laughs> sometimes I do yeah yeah wow is all yeah. I can say because it's hard mm. work mm. and on top of that you really built the brand mm. And you built your presence within the uh, within the TV mm. stuff that you've done as well. That's a heck of a lot to fit. I mean, you're 41. Yeah. It's a lot to do. And you've got two children mm. and you've got your long-term partner. Mm. So you've done a lot mm. in that time. How how does one do that? Ooh, That's don't, a really big question. It is a big question. <laughs> and it's one that I think I already ever got top time to stop to think was in the pandemic like for life for me was like you say was that kind of I was constantly chasing the next thing yeah because that feeling of success or doing something well was my validation you know I that's what I had self-learned yeah. so when I said right I'm going to do this clinic then it was okay get the clinic bigger then it was like move on to the next thing and there wasn't a kind of satisfaction. It was always the next. Yeah. So that continued and that was just the cycle of things that continued. And for me, I look back, it wasn't healthy, you know, um, from a time that minimal sleep, you know, um, relationships, you know, broke down because of overworking. And, you know, you get to a place where then you're like, okay, I'm moving at a hundred miles an hour or what for, mm. you know? And there was different points in my life that made me kind of, I'll call these these checkpoints. So the first was when my mom got diagnosed with cancer, you know, that just hit me like a ton of bricks because, you know, you hear about cancer everywhere and everything and not until it personally involves you and your family. Everyone says that. Yeah do you then realize that? And when that happened and we almost lost her, she's like the glue that hold the family together, yeah. you know, for all the bits that I didn't get from my dad, I would say I got from my mum. Yeah. And thinking that could be gone, like that, that shook me. And I think that, that was the first point that started to make me look at more than just the work, mm. you know? Um, so then we had that, the second big bit was when we nearly lost our son, Roman. Who's so, four now. Who's four now. So the pandemic, like with everyone, it, it made us stop for the first time. You know, everybody was on lockdown. 
But whilst everybody was going into lockdown, our son had been taken into ITU and he was 15 months old at that stage. Awful. And he was on a ventilator in ICU for 10 days. What happened? Um, They weren't sure. They thought it was at first COVID. Right. Um, It turned out to be paroxysmal virus, another virus. Um, But it was a very scary time, you know, because everybody was dying from COVID. Everybody didn't know what was going on. Horrific. And, you know, I was there helpless with my son and missus and we're thinking we're going to lose him. With all the restrictions as well. Yeah. So they had told us at that point that um, when he got unwell, that we couldn't be with him. and You couldn't be with him. Yeah. And yeah, it wasn't going to happen, you know. I think yeah, that the, <laughs> you were not. The, there was let. there was a lot of language that I can't speak <laughs> in here that was said, um, and you know I was like I don't even care if I have to sleep on the floor in the side room and we never leave this room. We are with him. He's fifteen months old. You know, my and God. I think the bed manager came down and she spoke with us and she said, "Okay, look, let them because you know." And I don't blame them because people weren't knowing how to deal with no, it. You no. know, they just were given these rules and they just said, "Right, follow." You know, but the human in her saw it was like these are two parents. This kid is fifteen months old. They can't be away from him. You know, so I remember in that time going to. I was praying to God. I was like, look if it means take me, you know, take me, you know, this boy has even lived, you know, just trade, like trade, you know, um, in there. And when they excavate him, that's when they take out the tubes to see if he can breathe on his own. And he did. Honestly, it was, yeah, that was a big life check in terms of that. All what I'm doing wouldn't have mattered if he was gone at that point yes oh my god yeah that's the biggest realization ever isn't it yeah that all what i was doing would not matter and i think that's when i started again just looking at answering the question of why am i doing this yeah and really analyzing i became very self-reflective like i started analyzing everything like you know i got on the front of times magazine like you know, no one really does that. And when I did it, everybody, I think, was more excited than I was. Like, Such an anticlimax. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was so weird. It was, you know, and I'm glad that happened earlier on mm. because that to me was like, okay, this is a pinnacle for a lot of people. And I'm sitting here like, okay, what's next? And I realized at that point, after that, with all this self-reflection from the stuff that's happening in my personal life, I'm not going to get happiness or what true validation inside is by this work. No. It's not going to come. It, it isn't going to come. And actually what I learned was the opposite, was the more successful I became, the more disadvantages sometimes it came. I, you know, I became this target. We said this when you're at the top, you are a target yeah, now. Yeah. And, and... I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to grasp because, you know, when they see success, they think, see all the shiny things and they see all the bits around and they go, well, what's there to complain about? And I'm very careful because I am very grateful for what it's given me in life and the life of my kids. But I don't think anyone would want it knowing fully sometimes what comes with it. And you were targeted quite really badly. Exactly. From jealousy, anger, everything, you know, and... It, it it becomes hard, you know, and you almost want to just hide away. Because you know you're not go. that person that yeah. they're trying to say you are. Yeah. You know that you're not, 
you're not here for that. No. You never intended that. You were literally to recap. Sorry to mm. put in there, but you you were kind of doing this for your dad. Yeah. You know, and then you realize, oh, this surgeon gets all this respect and I want some of that. And mm. you you were driven by that. Then you worked so hard. Mm. Medical school isn't easy. Mm. You know, mm. you've got to be some kind of character with some kind of intelligence to mm. do that. You go through that. You start building your business. Like you say, mm. sometimes without sleep. Mm. In the meantime, a bit later on, mm. your mum gets cancer. Mm. Your child ends up in this awful situation where, mm. and then people target you. Think, well, yeah, you've got a nice watch, so you deserve mm. it. Yeah. No, yeah. like you, you, you work. Well, you certainly did, and you mm. still do work very, very hard. Mm. And if people do that, it shows how small-minded they are. Mm. And I, I'm not one to berate other people. Mm. But I think at the same time, it, it hurts sometimes to see other people being targeted just because they've done well. Mm. Celebrate people's success. Like, elevate them. And maybe you'll elevate yourself in the process. Yeah, I completely feel that way. You know, for me, what always driven me was when also I see other people do well. Yeah. I would always be happy for it. I'd always dissect it. Yeah. See what I can do and go and actually ask questions. Be curious. Be curious. But what I found was the more I did, the more anger from set groups of people came. And that was really hard to take because you were like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and I know that'll be hard for people to define because they go, well, why the camera came in different forms. Racism mm. was huge. You know, I remember, you know, when I first started body fixers, you know, they were like, oh, they've already got a, black, a doctor because he's black, you know, um, to be cool, you know, oh, is he Dr. Dre? Is that his name? You know, so it was little stuff like that, Pathetic. you know, yeah. And then when I had my son, you know, it was faceless accounts, you know, people messaging saying, oh, just because he's half white, he's still a monkey, you know, um, just, just so much stuff that you think, my God, like, just because I'm on this platform, um, you feel you have the ability to say this to me, you know, what are you trying to achieve out of it, you know? Um, so yeah, it, that, that did re really, that was really hard. And I think I always say if I could have got to where I am now with actually no one knowing me, as I said to you, I would have done that yeah. because what happens is you're able to live your life in private, but you also also make your mistakes in private. Private, yeah. You know, and you're all human. And I I was then also very aware of that by my dad because even when I was getting more successful, my dad was always more worrying. And I always say to him, why? And he would always say something. The thing is, when they build you up, they oh, want yeah. to bring you down. And, and don't we love to do that in the UK in particular? Yeah. Oh, yeah. let's really put them on a pedestal. Now we're ready for, for ruining them. Yeah. yeah, we're going to ruin them. And that's what my dad was always scared of. My dad was always worried about it. He always would say, look, son, you know, you've got all the qualifications and so no one's going to doubt that. Your work's there, so no one's going to doubt that. It, they will come for your character. Yeah, they will, yeah. This is that. What, that's what they'll do because then no one can ever know you like we know you or the yeah. people around and people want to believe what they want to believe. Yeah. And so it makes them feel better about themselves. It makes them feel better about themselves. So, you know, for all this situation, my dad always found that harder. Yeah. Um, because he was always worried about that for me. From seeing it happen to a lot of people, especially a lot of black people, he would see it happen. Um, so that kind of stayed with him. In that well, way. 
you know, as a parent, as you'll know, you are never going to stop wanting to protect your child. Mm -hmm. And for your dad to come from Nigeria so young, witness how his friends were being treated, Mm -hmm. and then sort of understanding, look, I've got to tell you, this is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. This is what people do. Mm -hmm. This is how people behave. Mm -hmm. And people like to think that the UK is this really lovely, racist-free place. Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's absolutely still rife Mm. it's just like you say it's often by faceless accounts now yeah and it's just like you know i think you got to have a strong skin to get past it and i think that's what i developed through that time does it hurt though i mean especially when it's targeted at your child yeah that that hurts me more Mm. i think i got to a place where i could be numbed by it with me Mm. but when it was my kids i was like this, this is an innocent child. Yeah, how you know, do you do that to anyone? A beautiful anyone? child. How can you say such a thing? Although know? I say, how do you do it to anyone? Yeah. Honestly, I know because it's your child, mm. you're going to feel it more because mm. you want to protect your child. But yeah. sitting here, yeah. you know, in my privileged position as a white lady, mm. I still think, why would anyone want to hurt anybody else yeah. just because you can? Yeah. Like, and just pick the most obvious thing. Of course, we can all see colour. doesn't mean we need to be horrible about it. Yeah. But I always think that's because they're weak. If you're you're weak, you will pick on somebody. That's as simple as it gets, but it doesn't make it any easier to go through, especially when it's generational trauma and, you know, you've witnessed it happening to your parents and you know that it's happened to your grandparents. You know, it's not okay. And I know that it's harder when you're a parent to see it happen to your own child, but it doesn't matter whether it's a child or an adult. If you're doing that to someone, you're scum. Yeah. And and I don't like to judge people, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, that's the truth of it. And... um, as we tell your story and see how hard you've worked and the success, it's still shit that along the way you've been targeted because you are black. Yeah. But we almost, almost, it's sad because we almost come to accept it. We always come to take it as it is. And, you know, what I found was unfortunately, you know, and probably a lot of people can attain this, the more successful you are, the, the, the less black people there are in the room. Yeah. And it came to many points that I was the only black person in the room yeah. each time. And, you know, it was very aware of it. Um, and, yeah, I was always – certain people that had certain biases already were very careful about what words they chose around me. But they were always like, oh, well, you're different. They would always <laughs> say, oh, but you're different. And I'd be like, what do you mean, different? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, please, please quantify yeah, that Quantify that. What does that mean, you know? Um and you kind of just brushed it off your shoulder like you know and i thought by doing so much and then being able to live where i live now would escape that you know and and be but actually it's worse you know in some ways you know yes now i'm away from you know when i grew up you know there was drugs there was crime there was all of that around very safe area, private estate, very lucky to be there. But now there's the kind of class privileges mm-hmm. and the changes in there and the worries now I have for my kid. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, okay, he's growing up with everything now. How do I make him hungry like yeah. I was to yeah. go forward in life? So yeah. it, it does have its different challenges. Definitely. And um, I suppose what you've said there, I've actually had this conversation before about race and I feel really immature when I'm having it because mm. I'll say stuff like it's disgusting and da 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 mm. and then the person of colour mm. will say well yeah but you know you've kind of got to adjust to it you've got to and and it does feel like a 
a strange area to sit in for me because I'm really angry about it mm. that that's still happening to you to your children to whoever you're around that that is experiencing that to my friends to whoever I'm still really angry about it but I also realize that you can't you cannot afford to be angry about no, it no because it makes it almost worse yeah it almost makes it worse so you kind of and I think when it happens enough which is unfortunate you do become normalized to it no yeah. matter how much you know the first times it happened so I remember the first time it happened I cried it first time I it was in medical school I was a med student at the time and everybody was doing baby checks um it was a pediatric um rotation so you did the baby checks when they were born and my war partner did her baby check she was white and I went to do the baby check and the mum said no no not him he can't touch my baby I first didn't register I thought oh like something's on my hand dirty you know bits and then it registered mm. and I remember that evening crying um I remember going home I remember crying I remember I remember being in the canteen afterwards feeling like all eyes were on me you know I almost became aware I was different I knew it was different but it was almost all of a sudden you know I was looking at any glance or look in that place you know oh you know I'm different and I remember actually feeling so bad I didn't want to do medicine anymore and I remember speaking to my mum and her saying to me like look you know I brought you into this world it's up to you to let the world know when you have arrived she goes wow that's what you need to do you need to know and so little sayings like that, little things like that, it built this resilience. Yeah. Because it built this kind of ability to keep pushing forward. Mm. And whenever something happened, I would adapt to it because I was like, look, I've been in worse situations here, you know, yeah. and I've come through it. Yeah. So that became my learning pattern. I was like, look back each time something bad has happened, you have gone forward. So actually then you didn't become fearful. Yeah. You almost look, well, I'm going to get past this. Yes. I'm going to move past this, yeah. you know, and, and that's what pushes that's you forward. That's power. Yeah. That's real power. And like, that's why I say I feel a bit immature because, mm. you know, I haven't had to build that. Mm. I'm, I'm an observer in a world that isn't fair and feel angry about it. Mm. But because I haven't had to build that and have that experience, mm. you know, I haven't got that power that you have, mm. which is magical that you've, and your mum gave you that and, you know, your parents gave you that and that you've been able to go, okay, that's weak. I'm not engaging with it. Move on. I'm going to show you. Yeah. And I, I love that. I think it's something that a lot of people, because you've had to adapt to it and it's become desensitized, you almost take it for granted in yourself. But as an observer of that, I'm just like, wow, mm. you know, to put up with that shit. Yeah from other people and just rise above it no excuses rise above i think that's really phenomenal yeah, thank you and i do because but that's with all adversity isn't it you know you've got to rise up if you if you know yourself that yeah. you are special yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that because i think a lot of people are shy to say actually i've got something special here mm. if you know yourself you're special and you've got something to offer this world you stay focused on that no matter what mm. and that's what you've done and that's what that's what that you have is. to because yeah. I think when you do or focus on that, it doesn't matter what other people say. Yeah, and there will be voices along that journey, you know, whether they're familiar ones or people you don't know, that will put doubt in your mind. Yes, you have to have that self belief, and I think that does come from 
I think, you know, I see a lot of successful people and I always say they're scarred in some way. Yeah, they are. You know, um, and I think that scarring can either become your superpower or your detriment. So you know, true. I think you can use it to kind of propel you forward. Yeah. Or you can use it to kind of your own destruction. Um, Pain is a blessing. Yeah. Pain is a gift. It's not nice. No. It feels horrible. Mm. In fact, it's probably one of the worst things you'll ever feel. Mm. But it is a gift. Mm. Um, it's just, it's often hard to articulate that, isn't it? Because I'm always aware of people listening. And I'm always aware of people going, well, yeah, but I'm going through pain and I don't know how to use it as a powerful gift mm. yet. And unfortunately, it doesn't come like that. You can't just hear a quote and go, all right, well, that's fine then. That's what I'll do. You have to live it. The experience is what gives you the resilience. The experience is what gives you the wisdom. The experience is what gives you the power. And you have to gather it. Yeah. It's a journey and it's so cheeseball, but it is, isn't it? It's a, it's a journey. And But there's fundamentals that you have. Your character, your natural personality is one of them. You can't take that away from anybody. Like, don't forget the USP is you. Yeah. People buy from people. Yeah. So your natural personality is part of your gift. But then your determination and your drive, which is the will to prove something to your dad, because he really needed you to do that. Yeah. And then you've got this other bit. And this, um, I think it's like a, there's a, there's a softer side as well. Mm. You know, when you're talking about your son there, there's a strength with that softness, but there's this, again, I think it's the ability to relate to others, which is a natural empathy, mm. which I guess you have to have as a doctor, but not all doctors have it. No, not you know? all, yeah, but you develop it. But I think, again, from where you grow up and you're, yeah. you're having so many people from so many different cultures, yeah, um, so many different walks of life, going yeah. through so many different things, I think, empathy and the ability to mu communicate really is a superpower for people in True. those areas you yeah. know and I feel that that's been for me being able to adapt to so many different environments because of that and yeah. understand that yeah. you know if I have patience and whatever background they come from I'm already aware yeah. I'm already you know things so I'm already in tunes to them You're blending. And, yeah and I'm blending but then also I have the ability because of where the level of success gave me to be in those rooms that if I'm then on the board of something to adapt to them, I think yeah. they call it code switching. So like I can be either of those people in all of those different environments. And that's your superpower. Time. Like you say, you've got the superpower of resilience, mm. um, the superpower of your natural inbuilt mm. personality. And then this superpower to do this code switch. I love that mm. by the way, I've yeah. never heard anyone say about yeah. code switching, but that's a really cool phrase. This I'm going to use that mm. with my, with my impatience. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pretend that I own it. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give you credit. Good, no. I, I can't even take credit. I was going to say, that. did you trademark that? No, 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 that? no, no. That, that's not mine. That's not mine. You're going to have to yeah. trademark it soon because <laughs> otherwise I will. No, I won't. Um, but yeah, this code switching thing where you go from one space to another, you've got some really, despite the fact that you've obviously worked really hard to be the doctor, mm. those bits are really fundamentally important to your success, aren't they? Definitely, definitely. And I think when life, things happen those all go into overdrive yeah so you know the biggest thing for me when you said pain is a gift is when my dad died yes you know my dad um, for those that don't know was diagnosed with prostate cancer and uh, can i just reference you know, something i didn't realize it was prostate yeah. cancer isn't it um really under uh isn't there a massive m misconception about prostate cancer in mm. black communities yeah 
Right, yeah. that's something. It, it's, it's more prevalent in black, black men. That's right. And, you know, cancer overall in black communities is, it's not spoken about enough. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did a piece for BBC on, you know, cancer in black communities and about how we need to talk about it more. We do. Because particularly it's seen as this death sentence. Yeah. And actually, you know, for my dad, he had symptoms, but kept it to himself. And that again, double, I mean, being a man, we don't talk about things. Being a black man, we don't even talk about things twice. So he, and that's what hurts. He probably, if he had spoken about it, we could have caught it sooner, but he didn't. And so by the time he spoke about it, it was already quite advanced. That's sad. And for me, that, yeah that that I still now struggle with because you know I almost I almost feel like I failed him in some instances in the sense that if I could have I spent my time on my job you know body fixes a fixer being a fixer right I fix things and the one thing I couldn't fix was him yeah that's 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 a lot of difficult complex things to go through yeah and um so watching him go from this great man, like he's still a great man, but I mean, this figure, you know, he was short, but he was stocky, big hands, you know, having a man to break down to be like so frail and 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 um, confused and everything to the last days. And, you know, I was telling you, I, you know, I was there going to work, going straight back with him for palliative care at home because we had him at home. And, the last day I was there, you know, um, and I felt like I gave him permission to go because, you know, at that point he wasn't communicating anymore, just looking and breathing. And I remember just looking at him saying, it's okay, dad. Like, it's okay. Like, mum, I'll take care of mum. I'll take care of sis. Like, it's okay. You can go. And he went, um, and it, yeah, um, it still sticks with me now. Um, but that made the big reflection on where I was going in life with yeah. chasing the success. Because he had been the powerful force behind everything you'd done. Mm. Sometimes you weren't getting the love you needed, mm. but like I can just tell by how you've spoken about him, you have so much respect for him. I own, I own everything. everything yeah. yeah. And just everything. He, when, when we talk about them coming here at 20, mm. I think about myself at 20, you know, moving to a new town would have been a big deal, mm. let alone a completely different, well, it's a different planet. Mm. And, and England is not what it looks like in the books. No. You know, it, it was a different, they would come, probably thought, what? on earth is this place? (laughs) What are we doing? But they knew there was this opportunity for their children that weren't even born yet. And that is just, you know, so much just in that decision to come here to, Mm. it must be so scary. So, Mm. so scary. And the the reception I would imagine of a lot of the people here would not have been welcoming. Mm. Um, And so they would have gone through so many different struggles and had, like you say, your dad would have had so much to prove. Like Mm. we've done the right thing. Look at what I've done. So this powerful man, this powerful force of energy, this Mm. determination for you to have this amazing life, which Mm. you've got. Mm. um, And then to see him physically change like that. And to know there's nothing you can do. And you said you felt like you failed him. Mm. The thing is, 
hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? This is obviously very cliche because everyone says this, but hindsight's a beautiful thing because you could see the moments perhaps where it was obvious. Yeah. But you could, you can't know in that moment. You you only know what you know. Mm. And he made that decision to hold back because he was scared. Mm. And the reason he was scared is because people weren't talking about these things. And this is why this episode, mm. amongst other parts of your story, will be so bloody important mm that it's so important to talk about the fear of death, the fear yes. of cancer. Yeah. In communities like the black community, which is inherently known for not talking about mm. really serious issues, mm. the more black faces or people of color that talk about really serious issues, the more we can change yeah. that cultural aspect and do some, that's the gift. Yeah. That's the gift of what you're doing today is so, and I know you've spoken about it before, like mm. you're saying BBC and so on, it's so important, yeah. you know, changing that narrative and making it a regular conversation that you have with your mates or that, you you know, you have when you're driving to work, whatever it is, it's so important. Yeah. And for you to be there with him in those final moments, by the way, it's just so beautiful to have that opportunity to be with him and to give him that permission. But also I think for you, it must've just been profoundly painful. It's hard because um, we all grieve differently. And I think for me, my sister and I, I think she couldn't see why I couldn't do certain things. Mm. So when they went to the crematorium to see him before, I, I, I couldn't see that. No. Um, but it's because I was there. Yeah. And I saw that I I was the one that, you know, I did the hard parts. I was always that way. So to be the protector. So my mom and my sister were downstairs when the people came to take the body, you know, I saw them zip up my dad. I saw, I saw everything. Yeah. And so because of that, I was trying so hard to hold myself together. I knew there were certain moments that would break me. And so like, I couldn't go to the, burial site you know yeah. I couldn't do that yeah you know I, I, I couldn't do set things and I think that frustrated my sister because she thought I didn't care as much and I you know but then she understood that when I finally did and she saw me that didn't and she'd never seen me that way yeah you know she got it she was like you're holding it together because you're got so much going on yeah and so many people relying on you that like I said that level of pressure that you're like, I can't afford to, I almost at that point was like, I can't afford to grieve. Yes. I can't, you know, because if I go to this place, which I'm scared to go to, like, I don't know if I come back from it, you know, yeah. I'm so used to protecting myself and going forward and forward that, you know, as I, like, I can't go back. You ended up quite unwell for a little while in mm. terms of you had anxiety, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. First time. Yeah, first time understanding what that was even was. You know, after my dad passed, I remember it. I was literally about to get on a flight and I had a message. It was some something stressful happened at work and I, I started getting this pain in my chest and I thought it was a heart attack. I honestly thought, oh, this God, you know, this is what it must feel like. And I couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't do anything. And I remember just trying to calm myself down and it went and I thought, what was that? Like wow. I've never felt that in my life. And to go for someone who was 
confident and self-aware and do this to fill that and it then to start to creep up into different elements so i noticed that was i felt like that resilience was gone yeah i was going into situations where normally i would have just trailblazed through and then to getting these manifestations of feeling ill feeling you know anxious feeling this and i was like know what's going on the here. contrast between the two to, versions between this you know yeah. and you know i went and saw doctor in the first time in my whole life you know I, i'd never been to the doctors i'd literally never been no you way. know and i remember it because the doctor was like i have nothing for you on record <laughs> um so it was just like one of those weird things and he and actually the doctor said which was quite right actually doctor he's like i always get wide when there's nothing on record for someone and they come in yeah. because when they come in then it's something it's full to the brim <laughs> it's something serious you know and you know i started telling him and he was like look you know i think this is anxiety you're suffering from you know your dad i think was the final block you know he says, you know, you're building this work, you've got distress from press, you've got distress from TV, you know, home, expectation, everything else. It's almost losing your son and you've just kept going. You've just kept going. Yeah. And then that's done that. And, you know, I remember initially at first they were like, right, you know, we can give you these tablets. I was like, no, I don't, know. I don't want any tablets, you know, I can do this my own and you have a connotation about yeah. what that is even being a doctor who's given i know tablets. i know this is the this is the irony this is the irony and so i remember going no, i'm going to do the cbc i'm going to do that i'm going to take care of myself more i'm going to do that but it, it just wasn't working you know alone and so in the end they said look sertraline try it you know i remember the first days taking it thinking oh my god this is the worst decision ever because it made me feel worse it and does for some people and that's what yeah. it does for some people yeah like you know i just thought oh, what is happening here but then it started to work you know together with you know cbt and counseling and, mm. and that together it started to work and and it really made me i was already like i said in that self-reflective mode but it really started to make me understand life yeah like really really started yeah. life or living 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 you know i really was aware of what made my body feel good and what it didn't you know because i said to you earlier you were like a finely tuned engine mm -hmm. and even the engine of a lamborghini or ferrari needs servicing yeah. needs looking after yeah so if you were the ferrari or the lamborghini you were being it without looking after it without servicing it yeah. weren't you yeah and so now you're like I have to do things differently. Yeah, yeah. And you, I'm guessing living rather than life mm. means you're looking at how do I be present? How do I, you used a phrase before we came on camera, which was how do I lean into this? Yeah. yeah. I like that. How do you lean into life? Yeah, lean into life, lean into things that I fully enjoyed that made me feel good. Yeah. You know, I was, I, I become, I became very in tuned and aware of environments I liked environments I didn't like and go. And actually, interesting enough, a lot of the stuff that I had been working so hard to succeed in doing was the stuff really that was more detrimental. Mm. You know, I found I didn't really like to be at press parties or yeah. things like that or people I didn't really know. Because you were putting on like a facade. That. Yeah. I, I, you know, those are the times that I felt more anxious. Yeah. You know, um, 
being at home, my family, being with my friends, being in a familiar environment, being with my team, you know, these are the things that then I lent into. So I thought, okay, how do I get more of this? And, you know, this is not even like going on for years. This has just been the last year since my dad passed away that now I've started to try and change and make actions of my life that fit that, you know, because I think if it didn't happen, I probably was only going to go one way. Well, I said earlier, there is a gift in grief. Mm. You know, there is a moment that you get to decide that this can be used for something. Your dad would have definitely wanted that. Whether he would have agreed with every decision you make in life remains to be seen, Mm. but he would definitely have wanted you to be healthy and happy Mm. because you've already proved that you're successful. Mm. That's what he would have wanted. I'm absolutely sure of that. Just like any parent really fundamentally wants that for their child. So you um, you have restructured your life, but you've done something quite extraordinary as well, which is the work that you've done in these four clinics. You've managed to create a whole brand that's doing really, really well. So yeah. before we talk about the more you know, being present and all of that. I want to make sure that we talk about this thing that you've done with your business yeah. as well. Um, I think what I started to look at was, you know, cause a lot of people were like, Oh, build more clinics, do more clinics. And that was going to take away more time from me being home mm-hmm. and being with the family. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at things that could grow and touch people, but not necessarily have me to be there all the time. And I knew that then had to move from services into products. Yeah. So we launched a range of my cosmeceutical products, Esho. Um, and we launched that first from our own e-com and that went global. Um, we then went into Sephora, um, Beauty Bay, ASOS, um, also now going to be on Amazon at the end of the month. And that's been really great because also it's brought in my partner, Laura. She's involved in the business from an operation point of view. And even my son, you know, he's four years old, but it, we're going to be bringing in kids products in there. Oh, and wow. he's going to be for that, the face of that, he's going to be a baby doctor, a baby version of me. That is so um, cool. So cool. Yeah, he's, <laughs> we're going to call him Baby Roro. Um, <laughs> Roman is his name. Um, so, you know, Dr. Roro. Um, so he, he's looking forward to that and likes that. So I think it's now starting to find ways of, like you say, putting that stuff that I lean into, into that, yeah. you know, and, you know, I, 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 I'll be the first to admit, I think I was very close to years back before that, probably losing all of that yeah. because I was so focused on the work, you know, that, that put strains on our relationship, yeah. you know, we were distant, even though we were in the same house, you know, we were just, passing ships yeah. you know and you just get so focused on that as your validation you know you see that to be the thing that tells you you are doing well and that's your love you know but it isn't you know no. and i think a lot of people do get trapped into this that the amount of comments or likes followers awards shows fame is going to fulfill them on the inside. It isn't. It really does. It's an inside job. You need to work on that part. That part can be okay if you are okay inside. You can you know, have it all. You can have you, it all, but you've got to work out how. You've got to work out how. Because it certainly isn't by aiming for only the validation yeah. from, like you say, the accolades. Mm. 
that's really nice, really nice. It's mm. nice to have nice things. It's nice to go to nice places. But mm. if you're lonely mm. because you've lost your family, because yeah. your friends think you're a bit of a prick, mm. it's not really that enjoyable anymore, is it? It's not. It's it's all it's all fleeting. You it know? is. Yeah. Um, you know, I always talk about it now, and it's not that I don't take it for granted. But my missus would be the first one to say, if I get a nice new watch or a new car or something, two weeks, I'm like, okay. You know, because inherently we love nostalgia mm. and we love newness. Yeah. And nostalgia is rose tinted glasses a lot of the time. Mm. So it's not actually how it happened. It's how we want to believe it happened. Yeah. And the newness is that it's addiction really mm. to the dopamine hit. Mm. And I've done it myself. I mean, I think when we first spoke on the phone, I remember mm. talking about the watch thing. I was about to buy a Rolex mm. really, really close to it. And then I thought, I don't even wear watches. Why am I buying this? This is ridiculous. This is just to prove to someone somewhere, because I already know I'm doing well. I don't need to prove it to anybody else. Yeah. I don't wear a watch. Yeah. What am I doing? And I had a bit of a moment which was, ah, this is a slippery slope. And okay, if I get to a point where I really see something that I really, really want, it won't be a watch, mm. then I'll buy it. Mm. But I will get a lot of use out of it as well. And I think that that's the, I, I'm very aware, as you are in yourself, of my addiction to the newness feeling. Yeah. And that self-awareness, it's okay to it's okay to like it, but be self-aware, be self-reflective. And I referenced a couple of times the 12 Steps program. And on the, on the fourth step, on the 12 Step program, which is all about addiction mm. and recovery, is self-reflection mm. what are you doing to contribute to your addiction mm. what is going on for you and that's why i was so pleased when you said earlier you know i started this self-reflection journey because self-reflection is another superpower it is it seeing is. yourself and i try and do that daily because i think i always say not perfect no one's perfect no. you're always going to make mistakes and even now when i'm trying to lean into these things you can fall back into old habits yeah you know, all of a sudden give example, you know, with the product line, you know, it was going so well, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, right, you know, I need to do this region. We need to get to the States. We need to do this. And before I know it, I'm back, in the, I'm back in the loop, you know, I'm canceling days that I should have been going out with family. You know, you're doing all of those things and you're like, okay. And if I wasn't self-reflective as I am now, I would just go. Keep going. Yeah. 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 But if I sit down, then I go and I look and I go, actually, no, that shouldn't be there. You know, that needs to be working out in that way. Then I'm a bit more judging, I judge it a bit better. There's something there that's just cropped into my mind. Mm. And I'm going to ask you a question that hopefully makes some sense because mm. it's all just happened in my head right now. Mm. So when you're successful, mm. there's usually like a rhythm, uh, a rhythm to how you're successful. Mm. So obviously it, it requires some of your time. Mm. It requires knowledge and skill. Mm. It usually requires a good team mm. and it requires the vision. Mm. It also requires positioning yourself properly. And then the rhythmic acquisition starts to happen when you've got all of those foundation blocks in place. Mm. Uh, no one teaches you that stuff, although you probably can learn it now. But certainly mm. when we were coming through business, no one was teaching yeah. the rhythmic acquisition. You were sort of like, just do it yeah. and try your best. And mm. then you have to work it out as you go along. So with that rhythmic activity, with your product line, mm. is it fair to say that with the right team and with the right rhythm, finding those foundation blocks that work for your business, 
that would happen anyway in America without you having to put too yeah, much into it. Exactly. And it's almost just being patient and, Correct. and doing that. It's You're a right. virtue. It yeah. is. It's being patient and doing that. And if it realizing if that comes, great. Yeah. But if it doesn't, I'm okay as well. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's not, you know, it's not that where it was before this overwhelming no. Mm. This has to be and it has to happen now. Yeah. You know, that's the difference, I think, in me now. You know, I like to create, as you say, and creative, and I have many ideas that come from my head. But sometimes I'm like, okay, but do I have time to do that? No, okay, I'll leave it there. Oh, see, you that's know? power. Because mm. I know I'm a bit like that. My head's fuzzing all the time with all these ideas and all these things I want to do. Some of them will mm. never come to fruition. Mm. It's putting them down for a bit. Putting them down. Put them on the shelf. You know, I have this kind of now visual shelf, you know, in my head where I have all these other ideas and projects that I want to do. And I put it aside, but then I look at what I'm trying to now form as what I see as my happiness, you know? Yeah. And if it doesn't add to that or change that, then then I'm not going to deal with it now. So what is um, your happiness? I think family. Like, you know, we were talking about in kids and, you know, that shiny car or shiny watch wheel, I get every single time I yeah. see my kids like I, it's, it's, it doesn't get old it just gets <laughs> yeah. better yeah you know um and you know my focus now is kind of taking from my learnings from my childhood to kind of give them some of the things I didn't have yeah. and then give them the things that I did have yeah um and hopefully you know drive them forward better than I did myself you know yeah. that that's that's kind of it for me I, I like that you know I think I was probably this year the happiest I was was I was in my back garden with my mates I'd grown up from school um our partners were all there and our kids were all playing in the garden together and I remember just looking across seeing them playing thinking yeah we've done well you know you know yeah. and yeah thinking that was the first time I think I think yeah, we've done well. Um, and people think that's strange to say that, but in all the things I was doing before, you know, whether it was a clinic, magazine, award, I never, I felt a second of that and then it was the next thing. But that, I literally sat there staring going. And oh, you leaned into yeah, it. Yeah, leaned in going, yeah, done well. Isn't that amazing that in the end, those moments, which aren't actually those feelings of addiction mm. they're the they're the uh it's almost like you know when you've been at the ocean all day and and then you get to that place where the water is calm and you really just go <sighs> yeah it's yeah. the calmness of mm. of recognizing that what you've got there your friends your family yeah. in a very nice home i'm sure yeah. but it's that moment that makes you go that's that's what it's about yeah and it and and it was like it like you said it didn't even matter where it would have been yeah. whether it would have been in that house or anywhere yeah. you realize at the moment actually with all of those things aside this is the fundamental part of it all yeah you know because we know as my dad said you know the media will build you up build you down and take you away or whatever when all the noise is gone this is what's left yeah you know and that's what matters. And so I think 
it's okay to want success. Of course, it's um, important. And actually. it's okay to have, like you say, I think live with intention and purpose yeah, because yeah. that sometimes intertwines with success. It does. But I don't think it to become the reason that you validate your life based on that yeah. is a danger, I think validation comes from an inside job and i think that's what i've learned it's so it's really um it's, it's a beautiful thing to hear but i know i know this and you know this mm. some people just can't connect to that yeah. so if i look in the mirror i don't always like what i see who mm. does but i'm not talking about that i'm talking about do i feel comfortable with who i am and what i am mm. do i feel comfortable that I know death is a difficult subject, but if I mm. was to die, there would be people that went, do you know what? She she did something good for me mm. and or she made me feel something good. There'll be people that would say the exact opposite, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, same, same. <laughs> but if there are people that say that, then that's what I aim for. Mm. The rest of it is like the icing on the cake. Mm. It's nice if you like icing, mm. but you don't have to have that either. Some people are really comfortable with just... I say just as though it's less than, but I don't mean it like that. Mm. They're comfortable with their people, their yeah. family, their friends, and they don't have that intentional purpose to be successful, which is mm. fine. But I think if you do have that, because it's a, a natural driver, it's a survival instinct, I mm. think. I think that's what it became. Yeah. Well, that's what it became, definitely. That's why you mentioned earlier, a lot of successful people are scarred mm. because they've actually had to drive forward through through survival mm. and then if you can turn the survival into something that looks like success instead then that pain does feel like it's got a purpose mm. and i think that's where it can become addictive it's like well, this is all i know I, I i have to survive so i have to keep doing it i have it. to keep doing it and and that you talk about validation but validation is actually about survival mm. people think it's quite vain almost to seek validation but the reason people seek validation is because they're seeking acceptance which equals safety mm. and the brain is evolved to look for safety mm. validation is actually about safety psychological safety and those that seek psychological safety i.e validation are those that have never been accepted fully and that's why it can become such a problem. Mm. I, I believe in the people that I've worked with is mm. you need the validation because you don't feel good enough. Yeah. And if we can get you feeling good enough from a psychotherapy point of view, we can reprocess and reframe the way you see yourself. Mm. Then actually the success becomes the icing on the cake, not the survival mechanism. Mm. And I think that's where you're at. You, you, you're right. Because I didn't, you know, I didn't feel for multiple reasons. I didn't because I was black. Yeah, how that got treated that way. I didn't because of where I grew up, yeah, and the classism and how I was treated in that way. Yeah, I didn't because of my dad. Even though he loved me, I didn't have that traditional love. Yes, you know, it was you get you'll get your grades and that's it. So for all of those reasons, I had that process of validation or searching yeah. it for safety yeah yeah you know, and my dad dying and the different experiences i had through life were the ones that set me on the path of almost undoing that and recognizing that and learning and then, i think what you've learned is to finally accept yourself mm. probably more so and i think this happens to a lot of people including me when you have children through the eyes of your children she's like I created that, yeah. that beautiful, wonderful little thing. And nearly mm. losing your son as well mm. would have probably given you more of that, like, 
this this thing that I love so much is from mm. me. Mm. This is part of me. Mm. And I think that's when you start to see yourself a bit differently as well when you become a parent. Not for everybody, of course, but I think for you, certainly, that seems to have been a, a life-changing moment alongside then losing your your father who gave you the the mindset to yeah. chase the dream. Um, and those two things combined, I think, have enabled you to see yourself in a very different way from what you're mm. saying and to accept yourself, mm. but to know that you are also capable of the greatest of achievements also. Mm. So there's so many different layers there. Mm. Does it ever feel heavy? Yeah. 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 I think it's felt heavy for the longest time. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, it's times like these and talks like these that help. They're therapeutic. You yeah. Know? Um, I think I kind of, you know, walk around with a smile. I go, I go in that and I do about my day. So I don't think people do think that. Yeah. But, you know, I do get those moments all the time. And I just, you know, that big, <sighs> yeah. you know, yeah. It, it's a lot. Yeah. You know, um, and I, you know, but each time it gets easier. I think the more you work at it, the more you think about it, the more self work you do, mm. the easier it does mm. become mm. because, um, it just becomes more automatic how you deal with things and how things happen and how you run your own life. I think yeah. we were both talking about that. Yeah. You take steps to adjust things in your own life that then make it easier for yeah. you as well. And, and that's where you have to realize that it is choices in the end. Mm. And we, we had a chat about before we recorded about unconscious bias. And mm. I was saying, I really struggle with unconscious bias because I think everything comes down to choice in the end. Mm. You know, if you're going to be uh, prejudiced in any way, okay, perhaps you're not as educated as you could be, but you have a choice as to whether you vocalize it in that way, mm. in a certain way that is fueled by arrogance, hatred, whatever. Mm. So when it comes to, your own success, uh, your own peace, your own life. It is the choices that you make. And that's where self-reflection is an amazing tool. But I think when people talk about self-reflection, they talk about it as though it's the solution. Mm. And actually self-reflection can be probably the most painful bit. It is. <laughs> it, is. it is a solution in the end mm. when you do the work. But self-reflection, I think the reason people don't do it is because you don't always like what you're you don't seeing. What you're seeing. Yeah. You don't like the things you have to think about. You yeah. don't like to look at the mistakes you have made. Yeah. You know, but I think if you do face them, um, you do get on the other side mm. where then you start finding answers. And do you accept... Because I always say that if there were, there's sides of every part of us, so I, I don't always think that people would like every part of me. Mm. And that's okay because mm. I probably don't like every part of them because mm. we all present a version of ourselves, don't we? Yeah. But I'm very honest about the fact that I'm certainly not always going to be likable because mm. I'm not always liking myself either. So if I can say that, then I can see that other people would say mm. that too. I would like to think that I try my best, but that doesn't always mean that I am my best. Mm. And I think if you could, if you could summarize, and this is tough, mm. if you could summarize how you feel about yourself mm. as an individual mm. with all of the experiences that we've talked about today, mm. how, how would you describe yourself? Oh. 
Hmm. With honesty. Yeah. I would say myself, and is it in one word or? Multiple? No, you can you can have a paragraph a if paragraph. you like. <laughs> I would say someone with hyper ability to continue to strive forward, but needs to recognize his own limitations so they don't become his own detriment. I love that. Yeah. So there's often, from the sound of it, you know, that heaviness mm. is working out where that spot is, mm. the, 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 the soft spot where you are recognizing your own limitations but still driving forward. Yeah. That's why that's heavy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> when you've got the hyperability yeah. to be successful and strive and determined yeah. and all of that, to then know when you're when your limits have been reached mm. whoa yeah tough yeah. and this is why you said earlier people look at the shiny objects and go well you're lucky because you've got all this mm. but i think actually i'm not saying you're in turmoil all the time mm. don't get me wrong but to figure that space out i want all of this stuff because i've worked for it and i'm clever and you know and i've worked bloody hard from all the way through school mm. and to where i am now but equally, I want to be able to have those moments in the back garden with my friends and my family and the time yeah. to, to be present. To be present. And, okay, you can have the watch on your arm, but like mm. I said before, if you're not being present and you haven't got the time to be with those that you love yeah. and to be a role model in mm. the healthy way for those, then is it worth it? And and that, that heaviness of where do I go here mm. without – I know you have got your mentors mm. or you have had your mentors yeah. – but I think it's still you at the end of the day that's got to make that happen. Yeah. It's still on you. It is. And it's even harder now because it's my dad passed yeah. last year. You know, we made that transition from like almost, I would say, <laughs> captain soldier uh, before passing to them being truly father, son. After wow. Graduate. Wow. And it's stuff like that I spoke to him about, you know, those are the bits that I was coming into that part of my life where I was trying to figure that out, yeah. you know, or, or reflect on that and say those things to him, you know, like dad, you know, how do you do this? How, how do we, how do you figure out this? How do you juggle the family and doing this, you know, trying to find those answers because you only learn for experience. Yes, you do. You, you know, really um, do. you can't, you know, yes, no matter how much anyone tells you, it, it's only for experience, you know, and you know, I think, Law and I talk about this now. We said the amount of stuff we have been through together. We're like, my God. But it almost then also makes us a strength because we've been, we have been through all of it. Yeah. So there's nothing really, I don't think that's going to surprise us enough to be yeah. anything now. But with that does become baggage, as you say, and then comes the pressure and you want to try and move away from that. Yeah. And, and, and build a life to the way you see it as now. I mean, it's, it, I said earlier before, it's cheese ball, but it is a journey. Mm. And everything that you've spoken about is that old saying, which is, this too shall pass. Mm. You know, whatever it is, it, good and bad, mm. this too shall. So you have to understand the happy moments are fleeting. Mm. The painful moments are fleeting. Mm. It's the choices that you make along the way that make the difference. Mm. And what's 
very interesting about you is, and about everybody actually, mm. is that someone might walk past you in the street, mm. right? They've not seen your face before, so they don't know who you are. And you told me a story earlier mm. about the area you were walking with the pram. Yeah. A man saw you and said, what, what house are you dreaming of buying? Yeah. Uh, unbeknownst to him, you owned one of the houses <laughs> and he actually didn't. Yeah. But he made an assumption about you. Mm. And when I talk to people, be it that they are clients or be it on this podcast, I am just, there. there's moments that you've spoken about today where I've just gone, mm. my jaw, for those that are listening, not watching, my mm. jaw drops. And I... I have had those moments with you today and I think people will see Dr. Esho, the character that's out there mm. and, you know, they won't necessarily know all of this about you. Oh, definitely not. I think I've said stuff <laughs> that I haven't said on some podcasts. So yeah. You, you're very good. Uh, oh, yeah, I appreciate yeah, no, that. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you got that out of me. But you're right because I think social media shows this curation of life right yeah and no one really gets it you know yes everybody thinks it's all smiles and ponies and everything yeah. is all nice and you know I do try and share some of the lows as well as the wins because I do think there needs to be a balance yes but you know as you said I, I think probably a lot of people get to know what in my mind internally I do struggle with yeah and I might not say as much because I don't want to come across as ungrateful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you don't, I certainly not today. Mm. I think actually what I've seen of you, this mm. is just my opinion, mm. is the humbleness, mm. the realness, which mm. I said at the very beginning, yeah, we're going to see the realness. Mm. And I think there's a, oh, there's a lot of pain in your story. I think even from the, the racism point of view mm. and not necessarily feeling loved. Mm. And I just think, if anyone's listened to this and you know you've you've been racist or you've had thoughts that actually are quite prejudiced mm. this story alone should tell you like this is a good man mm. that's had so much to offer people that's worked so hard that's got so much love that's got so much pain don't don't be horrible to people you know if you don't be horrible to people listen to people, talk to people, because the story that you've told me today, my heart's at times been like I've watery eyes, particularly when you talk about the baby thing mm. and then when you talk about your dad. Mm. like. But then there's been times as well I felt immensely proud of you and I barely know you. <laughs> you know, and all those emotions that I felt just listening to you within a short period of time, when you really listen to people, and this is what I aim to do with the podcast, is to connect people through stories because we've lost community mm. and we've lost that ability to see people because we're all so busy, like you say, mm. and we don't really pay attention to anyone. But, you know, when I'm sitting on a train or if I'm just walking through, you know, the street, going from one end to the other and I see someone, I, I never I never just assume anything anymore because I just see that everyone's got this story. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story yeah. and yours is really powerful and I'm really so so privileged to have been able to sit with you and listen to it because mm. it's touched me in lots of different ways and inspired me actually in lots of different ways and I'm hoping and I know actually that it will have that effect on other people too what's the kind of if you if there's a, a young a young person mm. who who's perhaps entrepreneurial or creative and wants to be in business yeah. what's a couple of top tips i think you know one of my biggest ones and i think we were talking about just off air is at the beginning try and figure out in your head 
when enough is enough. Yeah. Yeah. Map that out. Map that out. If you can figure that out and then work backwards. Yes. I think you're onto something there. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us, when we are entrepreneurial, we want to do something, we then get blinkered and we put our heads down. Yeah. And what happens is the goalpost continues to change and continues to shift and it keeps going. And that's when that addiction comes into it, being addicted to sex, keep going. And we forget what we saw as that kid has been enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's funny you just said that because it just reminded me of a conversation I had it with Tommy Mallet, so Mallet trainers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he was in clinic and we were talking about this because he has had these issues with mental health as well. We were talking about... He was I on said, the telly, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. And, and we, we both said, because we said, if we were the kids, you know, back then growing up and we are where we are now, would we be happy? And he was like, yeah. Yeah. Because that's back then what we have or even less than what we have, we would have been happy with. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so why are we continuously pushing on this mm. you know and i think so knowing because there will always be the bigger car there will always be the bigger house yeah there will always be the thing you know learning when enough can be enough is so important because i think if you can do that then you can find balance better absolutely but the other thing that strikes me is what your mum said to you after you had that instant with mm. the the woman that didn't want you to go near a baby mm. which was Know who you are. Yeah. Know who you are. If you are a young person in business, mm. doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what opportunities your family has had before you, mm. know who you are yeah. and know when enough is enough. Yeah. And I think uh, believing in yourself is tough if other people don't believe in you. But again, this is why I wanted you on because I think someone listening to you would go, yes. Like, I can believe in me too, especially if you're a kid at school and the teachers aren't quite seeing that the reason that you're not behaving, I say that in inverted commas because sometimes you are behaving, you're just bored. bored. You know, if you're that kid, believe in yourself, yeah. trust in yourself, yeah. know you've got – because I think one of the things I always say is that kids are often taught not to listen to their instinct, to their intuition, because the system, societal, you know – You get labelled. You get labelled. But you know. You know as a kid, you know who you are. Kids are actually much more savvy than we give them credit for. And you just need one person to say that, even if it's through a podcast, even if it's your mum's listening to this and she shares it with you or your dad. Know who you are, trust in that, but also define happiness. We don't teach kids to define happiness. We teach kids what we expect. So define happiness with your kids. Or let them do that for themselves. You know, one of the things I used to absolutely love when I was a kid was making mud pies. <laughs> I absolutely love making mud pies. And it made me very, very happy. I'd get mm. excited about mm. it. Mm. So what that teaches me is that something that I must do mm. and don't do enough of, but will go back to doing is being in nature. Mm. Because I love it. It genuinely brings me joy. So if I can create more of that within the work that I do, then that's superb. So it's those things that you can really understand about your kids and in nurture it in them and let them nurture that within themselves because that's the key to success isn't it definitely if yeah. you can combine that with what you do as as a job mm. great definitely no no i agree with you on that so lots of brilliant brilliant moments today mm, thank you and and again like i said at the beginning you're a very very busy man <laughs> so i really really appreciate your time no today. i i honestly love the moment coming down here today and honestly like i said this is therapeutic for me well, in, in honesty and I think definitely when 
you know, I go on my car journey back, I'll be reflecting on it as well. Yeah. And through bits too. Well, I can't wait to share it with everybody. Oh, appreciate it. And um, just uh, if anything, I want to say that not only have you inspired me, but I think you've made me realize a lot about, I said something earlier about the emotional immaturity, mm. you know, a lot about how to be gracious and how to be um, accepting without just ignoring. And I, I want to thank you for that today. Oh, thank you. Really thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it was lovely. Yeah, it was. I could have spoken to you for hours. Oh, that was lovely. <laughs>